This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is John Doggett, recently retired CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with John Doggett next. Today's open mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net, providing individualized protection on more than 490 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. After leaving the farm in the late 1970s, John Doggett spent time working in the farm machinery business, even as a stockbroker, before he landed in Washington, D.C. Over his tenure of representing farmers and ranchers on Capitol Hill, Doggett worked with stalwarts and statesmen to craft policy to help the industry flourish through some very challenging times. I started, it was the end of January of 1988, uh, started in the Marlin A office. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't that many months later that we were in the middle of the 88 uh, drought and got to see the House uh, Ag Committee in action. And, and Mr. Marlin A was the ranking Republican on the uh, Wheat, Feed Grains, and Oil Seeds subcommittee. And a guy by the name of Dan Glickman from Kansas was the chair. Uh, watch Kika De La Garza, the chairman of the full committee, um, give a lot of autonomy to the subcommittee chairs. Ed Madigan, the ranking Republican, gave a lot of autonomy, autonomy to the uh, the ranking members in those subcommittees. And it was a process that worked through kind of like Schoolhouse Rock, you know. It was the how is a bill made. And watched how members of Congress, both sides of the aisle, from lots of different regions, worked through the process to go ahead and deal with a real crisis that that affected agriculture. We don't see that anymore. We don't see big pieces of legislation going through the subcommittees and then the committee and then the floor and then the conference committee. You know, so much of this is written in the leadership offices. So it's a process, the process has changed significantly, uh, but the atmosphere has changed significantly more and certainly not in all but a couple cases, not for the better. It is poisonous, and um, anytime I hear folks say, gosh, Washington is all messed up, well, it's because of the who we all send to Washington. Mm-hmm. Washington isn't the problem. We need to send better better people to Washington to do the right thing. Anytime you hear a member of, of Congress or a candidate say, I'm going to go to Washington and fight. I'm going to fight. Don't vote for that person. Or at least if you do, you can't go ahead and complain to say, you know, I don't know what's going on in Washington. All those people do is fight. And that's all they're doing right now. And it's not for the good of this great nation. What was it that changed the face of the nature of leadership? What brought about this polarity? Is it just in the Beltway, or is the Beltway a reflection of the rest of the nation? I think the Beltway is a reflection of the rest of the nation. We, you know, uh, rural America has become redder. Uh, Urban and suburban America is becoming more blue. 
you know, if you tell me what what your position is on gun control, I can tell you what probably who you voted for and what your position is on abortion and immigration and this and that and the next thing. And we we tend to allow, allow ourselves to live in these echo chambers where all we do is reinforce the things that we hear from people who are look, act, and believe just as we do. When I came to, to the corn growers on a 15-member board, we had four uh, people who were Democrats. They were clearly Democrats, said so. And we had two, three more who were independents. Well, we don't have that much anymore. People have just decided to become clannish about things. But were, with that board that was divided, were you able to come to consensus and conclusions and work together? We could do all of those things, but what was is more important is that we also had additional perspectives in the room that were that differed from one another. The fact that there was disagreement allowed us, when we came to an agreement, to have a better a better functioning organization that moved forward better. Some might suggest that we need to add a moderate to the endangered species list because it doesn't appear to be anymore. There's very many people in the middle. There's not many people in the middle. And I mean, the person who represents me in, in Northern Virginia, Abigail Spanberger, is about as moderate and conservative a Democrat as there is. And she, but she's one of the very few that are left. I mean, I remember when I started, you know, you had a Earl Pomeroy, you had you had a Dave Nagel from Iowa, uh, a Jim Leach from Iowa. We, you know, we used to have a lot of moderates and, uh, you know, the, Ike Skelton. Uh, from Missouri. These were all folks that came and, yeah, they might have a D or an R behind their name, but really what they were is they were legislators who wanted to get the work done that needed to be done to continue to make this a great, great nation. So look over your shoulder. I'm anxious to, to see if you would share moments or times when those stalwarts were on and getting the job done. You know, Kika de la Garza was just a wonderful, sweet gentleman until he lost his temper. And I, I saw that a couple times where, and one time he was angry at the Republicans, the other time he was angry at his fellow Democrats. But it was basically, come on, guys, let's get this figured out and let's move forward. Um, Bob Dole was another one who, who uh, you know, and I was in one of those situations that you hear about Bob Dole creating, and it was a situation where there was a lot of disagreement among some folks in agriculture, and um, he brought uh, uh, his uh, his hatchet guy, came and put everybody in a small room and, and said, the senator isn't going to want to see any of you out of this room until you all reach an agreement. There was no bathroom. We came to an agreement after a while. The real leaders have been the ones who have, one, been able to compromise, but two, looked at what is it we're really trying to get done? What problem are we trying to solve? That is a phrase that I learned I would be asked whenever I went in to see John Dingle, the longtime chair of the uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee. And he would begin, if he came in, and, and he would say, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Cut through all of the stuff. What is the problem you're trying to solve? And you better be able to go ahead and articulate that in about two sentences with maybe only one comma. And those are the kind of folks that cut to the chase, get to the get to the bottom line. So now we are on the eve of bringing in a new Congress 
that has even less association with the business of agriculture. And many of those will be sitting on committees that will be writing farm policy for the next five years. So what's the objective for the corn growers and the soybean growers and cattle and all the other commodity groups that work inside D.C.? How does agriculture find its new champions? Well, one thing, uh, listen to what those potential champions are looking for. What is that member from the suburbs of Pick City, Boston? That person may want to be on the Ag Committee to deal with, you know, to, to protect SNAP programs. That's a good thing, but they can support other things. But you have to listen to what they want. What What is it that they need that we can provide? You know, we in agriculture do a lot of great things. We produce a lot of food, we produce fiber, we produce fuel. We are increasingly environmentally sensitive. Uh, we do great things with capturing carbon. Those are all things we just need to let folks know what we're doing. It takes building relationships. It takes being part of the discussion. That's what's going to be important is being part of that discussion, being willing to go and and sit down and talk to somebody about what is it that you need. It's going to continue to take a lot of effort uh, in a lot of different places. So writing new policy will bring new challenges. We have seen a nation that has dealt with inflation, and it still is forbearing on us now. We've dealt with supply issues that are there. Uh, we are dealing in a whole higher stakes game in this business than we ever have before. The 18 bill didn't index reference prices. So now the safety net is there, but it's pretty close to the ground, and it's below break even for a numbers. There are so many areas that need funds, but Washington is long on ideas and short on funds. What's the way forward for commodity organizations as we begin this debate about policy? I always tell folks that when you, when you write policy, write it as to what you need, not what you want. And, you know, there's a lot of things we all want. Um, we didn't get all of those things. The Lord didn't provide those. And, and uh, you know, you're just, we need to figure out what is it that is the best thing for the lowest cost. Uh, you know, we're not going to see a huge increase in reference prices. It'll cost way, way too much money, particularly in lar- the larger crops like corn and soybeans. Uh, a dime is going to cost a lot of money, and a dime additional reference price for corn doesn't provide you much more uh, protection. So I think we're going to have to devolve back to uh, what we always say is crop insurance is the most important risk management tool there is. We will need to continue to, to push to create new crop insurance programs and policies, and I think that is probably going to be one of the places that will be the most important. With the turn of the House following the election, I wonder now how much environmental and climate influence will be in policy making. I think it more likely coming from the Senate, but may also still be in the House. How much environment do you see in this new bill, John? Oh, I think there's going to be a lot, and I think it'll be good for us, because finally we have some money to work with. This uh, this IRA chunk of change that's out there, $3 billion, 
you know, we keep talking about, well, we can do with some of this conservation stuff, but, you know, it costs money, and, and when times get tough, that's not going to be something we're going to spend money on. we got money now, and I think that's, you know, we're going to have an opportunity. Um, we've, been, we've been doing a great job. We can do a better job. We can, can, we can accelerate the improvements that we've been making over the last 40, 50 years. I think we have huge opportunities in the environmental space. So maybe not the dollars to increase reference prices, but dollars in other areas. Sure, and and if so much of what we we get concerned about in the environmental area is that transition, that two to three year transition to cover crops or what no till or whatever. You know, there's a transition and it affects your income. How do we go ahead and you know? take some of that risk out how do we go ahead and provide incentives and you know we're all about carrots we're not about sticks and as long as this money is all about the carrot side you know i think we're going to benefit greatly will we get a farm bill in 23 or what will keep us from getting a farm bill in 23 i i've already seen some some comments from some folks about well we've got to have work requirements for snap participants there already are work requirements for SNAP participants. I, I'm really concerned that the SNAP issue is going to be, again, problematic to get something done. Um, and then we've got the money situation. Uh, so those two are going to be really difficult. Uh, and there's going to be some, some tough sledding for uh, rural Republicans, particularly those in, in positions uh, on Ag Committee and in, in leadership. What are they going to do to, to move this along? Um, if it gets wild and crazy, you know, uh, we could end up not having a, a farm bill and maybe do an extension for another year. And then you get into 2024, which is an, a presidential election, and you don't want to do that either. Lord knows I don't want to see a two-year extension, but, you know, who knows what's going to happen? We'll see. Is the discussion about renewable fuel over? Oh, I, I think... Uh, we're going to see all forms of renewable fuels uh, take off. We've had the huge increase in, in the ethanol corn sector. I think you're going to see uh, a big acceleration in the soybean sector, in the oilseed sector. But, you know, it, it'll even out. We have finally turned the corner with the American people, and they are now understanding the benefits of a renewable energy source uh, that is domestically produced that is good for the environment. And whether it's corn ethanol or, or uh, sustainable aviation fuel from oil seeds or whatever, uh, it all benefits agriculture. It provides markets that are stable, and it also allows us to go ahead and maybe wear the white hat a little bit more often. Is this potential spat with Mexico a blip on the screen or is this a significant issue that is making a statement for bilateral and multilateral trade agreements? If we can't make this deal with Mexico work, there is no reason to have bilateral agreements. And I am the biggest supporter of bilateral, multilateral agreements that there is. Uh, I, I think that Secretary Vilsack has, has been spot on. He's been tough, he's been firm, and he's been very, very, very clear. We are going to go ahead and fully implement USMCA. And if the, the Mexican government believes that they can, can do things that are outside that agreement, we're going to bring a suit. In the court of public opinion, 
it appears that a, 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 a lawyer can convince a, a, a group of judges or a group of peers that a herbicide or an insecticide might have done something and that overrules the FIFRA and all the other regulations that we have in the country. And even now, as corn farmers and others are looking at 2023 and making crop decisions, there's no definitive answer that the herbicide plans, that their crop protection plans for this new crop are going to be able to come to fruition. Is this an area? I mean, in, in the globe, there is a question of science, but even in the U.S., there is a question of science, and litigation appears to be the avenue to see it overturned. You can't have a situation where the U.S. EPA says that glyphosate is not not a carcinogen. Um, and uh, Administrator Regan will tell you that. It is not a carcinogen. We have one court in San Francisco, of all places, that said it's a carcinogen. We can't have that. That is not going to work. You cannot have a court without a full vetting of the, the science make a determination of that. These are lay people who are, have heard from attorneys in a, in a situation where, you know, that, that, that plaintiff, uh, his, his family, I mean, that, that's a pretty sensitive, uh, deal. And you think, gosh, that isn't that terrible? This, this guy died of cancer and, you know, shouldn't we do something for him? And that's human nature, but that isn't good policy. That isn't where it works. And, and you know, if we get rid of glyphosate, we're going to go back farming the way we did in, back in the 60s. Tillage. Have to till. Not sustainable. Can't do it. What, 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 we're going to release, release all that carbon that we've been putting in the soil all these years? You're going to, you want that out in the atmosphere? That is going to affect climate change. Glyphosate is saving the climate. Why are we doing these things? But, you know, there is a, I used to call it a cottage industry, but it's not a cottage industry anymore. It's big business. Big business bringing these suits. Big business going ahead and and generating income by scaring people to death. And when you have venture capitalists funding these glyphosate suits, you know, they're the ones that are providing the funds for the ads that you see, you know, late at night. If you've applied Roundup to your, your lawn, you undoubtedly have something awful that has happened to you. Just call us up and we'll figure out a way to get you, put some money in your pocket. And they're going to get some money in their pocket as well. It, it's, it's insane. What will you miss about I mean, D.C.? I will miss all the great people I've worked with. Uh, I've had a great number of people who've worked for me. Uh, in the D.C. office, I've had over 50 people work for me over 20 years. Uh, I miss, will miss people that uh, I've worked with, uh, you know, to see on a constant basis, like a Luther Marquardt from, from uh, the Soybean, Soybean, excuse me, Sugar Beet Growers Association. I'll miss some of my old buddies at Farm Bureau. You know, uh, there's folks all over D.C. that, uh, you know, we've been on the same side of issues. We've been opposite side of issues. But, you know, there's such a great cadre of really fine people who have gone to D.C., uh, a lot of them farm and ranch kids, but not all of them. But they've gone to D.C. to to, to help agriculture. And I'm going to miss those folks. So what do you say now to 
the new CEOs and the new elected leaders and the new people that will be wearing out shoe leather on Capitol Hill? What mindset do they need and and what's your advice for them moving forward, John? Question, question, question. Always question what you're doing. Um, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Um, and when you absolutely are completely convinced you're right, is most likely when you're probably most likely going to be wrong. We need to get out of our comfort, you know, out of our comfort zone. We really need to get out of our comfort zone. We are, we're, we're in a, we tend to get into uh, an echo chamber. Uh, we can't do that. We we need to be listening. What the, what does the rest of the country want from us? You know, there are five five occupations that the American people absolutely respect: cops, firefighters, members of the military, teachers, and farmers and ranchers. And we have a wealth of of good feeling from the American people, and. We need to embrace that. We need to embrace them. We need to be listening. What is it that they want? And um, have a discussion. I have always known John Doggett as one who stood in the middle and wasn't afraid to share the opinion of the farmers that he represented. He had a holistic view uh, of himself and of his industry where you might be right and where you might be wrong, but you always stood in the gap and stood for agriculture. So, John, thank you for your service. This is Open Mic, and, John, you've been here before, and we thank you for taking time to visit with us. It's Open Mic, and you have the last word, sir. Well, thank you, Jeff, to you personally for all that you have done. You have been um, a good friend. You also are one of the harder uh, interviewers that I've had to deal with, but you've always been honest. You've always been straight, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the great work that that you and other folks in in, uh, agricultural journalism have done. Um, And I I think that as I look back on my career uh, and I look and see some of the folks that have retired recently, the John Gordleys, John McGuire, Dale Moore, myself, there are others, and folks are saying, well, it's the passing of an era, and who's going to replace these folks? I tell you what, I am so impressed with the young people that are coming along behind us. Some work for the Corn Guards and some of them work for some other organizations. I'm really heartened to see some of these folks. They're young, they're aggressive, they're hungry, they want to do the right thing, and they're willing to take a look at a broader perspective. So I am very, very confident that the folks in Washington, D.C. who represent agriculture will continue to do the job that people at the Fork of the Creek really deserve. Our thanks and congratulations to John Doggett, recently retired CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.